every reveal, so to speak, is unique and everybody's results are unique. So before they even get their results back, I think it's really important to provide an understanding of what emotional intelligence is and what actually is being measured here and uh, not looking at these results as something that's uh, necessarily negative. You know, uh, remembering the results are stagnant. This is a snapshot of a moment in time. From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm your host, Dan Smolin. Our mission on this podcast is to help you realize your dreams of doing meaningful work. Here you'll meet and be inspired by amazing people who overcame great odds. You'll discover what sparked them, how they explored work opportunities, the strategies that they employed to ensure career success, and the actions they boldly took to make it all happen. You'll also meet esteemed and nationally recognized thought leaders who are helping people like you to develop work skill, experience, and leadership, and seize opportunity from a changing world so that your beautiful work dreams turn into reality. Together, let's turn work meaningful, for meaningful work is the future of work. Most everyone knows what IQ means. It is the intelligence quotient, a score derived from several standardized tests to measure a person's intelligence. But few people in the world know what EQ means. That is the quotient of emotional intelligence, which measures our ability to be aware of, control, and express emotion, and to handle interpersonal relationships with empathy. Today, we welcome back Edith Richards. She is the founder and executive coach at A Top Career and a subject matter expert on emotional intelligence. In this first part of a two-part episode, she helps us to take on emotional intelligence, what it is, why it is important, and how we can use it to make our work and workplace experiences positive and meaningful. We spoke with Edith Richards in August 2019 in Arlington, Virginia. Edith Richards, welcome back to the tightrope. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Dan. So when we last spoke, you described for our listeners the Myers-Briggs type indicator of which you are a certified practitioner and you assessed my ENTP Myers-Briggs type and you took me through how it affects my preferences for work and other pursuits. Now you're back today and we're going to shift our conversation to emotional intelligence and I should add that you are a certified practitioner of emotional intelligence as well. Yes, yes, I am. And I'm so um, thankful to be here to talk about this topic that I'm very passionate about. And I believe it affects everything that we do as as human beings and uh, absolutely affects what you're here to talk about, which is meaningful work. So to get us started today, why don't you describe for our listeners what emotional intelligence is? So the term emotional intelligence became popularized by uh, Daniel Goldman's book, uh, Emotional Intelligence and Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. But the concept of emotional intelligence isn't a new one. 
in the latter part of the 20th century, society was, was fixated on measurement and scientific data. And while in many sectors this still is the case, the social sciences are starting to catch up. So such things as behavior and emotion are recognized as crucial to our functioning. And the people who are successful in these areas of uh, relationship building and coping with stress effectively are the ones who end up being the most successful, both personally and professionally. And in terms of the emotional intelligence assessment I use, uh, I use one called the EQI, uh, which was... um, which was conceived by the uh, American-Israeli psychologist Reuben Bar-Un, and he actually came up with the term EQ, or emotional quotient, back in the 1980s uh, when he was working on his dissertation, and he was pondering the question, why are some people able to achieve success in life with only modest intellectual abilities, and those with superior intellect don't achieve such great success? Yeah, and uh, so so years later, he developed this instrument that's now known as the Bar Own Model of EQI, uh, which again stands for Emotional Quotient Inventory. And he believed that emotional intelligence is made up of a series of skills and attitude. So such things as empathy and self-awareness, which many people equate with emotional intelligence, but there's also impulse control, assertiveness, stress management, uh, flexibility, and a skill called reality testing, which is actually what we were just talking about before we started recording, um, which is looking at the external world and external data for what it really is rather than what we wish or fear it to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and all of these skills and attitudes are separate, but they do overlap, and there's 15 of them, and they're grouped under five general themes. I guess the follow-up question to this is how does EQ differ from IQ? Yeah, they're really measuring two very different things. So IQ, or intelligent quotient, is measuring our cognitive ability, our analytical and rational abilities. EQ, as it relates to the Bar-Own model, is described as a set of emotional and social skills that influence the way we perceive and express ourselves, develop and maintain social relationships, cope with challenges, and use emotional information in a meaningful way. Uh, Now, both the IQ and the EQ are scored on similar scales. So, uh, so Dan, when when you see your results, you will be compared to a norm group with 100 being the average Mm -hmm. and the scores that are uh, above 110 are high range uh, of that norm group and the scores that are below 90 are in the bottom quarter of the norm group or their low range. So, but here's where things really get interesting with EQ. Mm -hmm. EQ isn't stagnant. It changes throughout our lives and it should change with development and skill building. IQ, on the other hand, it's stagnant, and it pre- it's pretty much set in, in, uh, in late adolescence. So we also think of people with high IQs as, you know, that's a really great thing. These, these folks, um, wow, it's great to have a high IQ. Mm-hmm. But this is not necessarily the case with, with EQ. The more you overuse a strength, the more it's apt to become a liability. So one thing I promote with using EQ effectively is balance. And we're going to talk more about this when we we get to your results, Dan. Okay, so you've teed that up. Mm -hmm. Uh, What our listeners will probably figure out if they heard Edith 
from last season is she's taking over this podcast <laughs> to do um, a review of my EQ assessment. So I'm going to turn the podcast over to you. Take us through my assessment and what you learned about my emotional intelligence. Well, I still like to think of this as a, as a dialogue bet- between us. Uh, sure. But I'll... First, I should mention that, you know, before um, before we met here today, I asked you to do some pre-work. Yes. And I, I had you listen to a podcast where I explained what the EQI assessment measures and explained each of the 15 elements and asked you to assess yourself. How do you connect with each? Would you put yourself in low, mid, or high range? So before we go any further, mm-hmm. let's revisit this. Okay. Um, which EQ elements do you feel most secure in? And if you could share a bit about how you've um, used these and why they've been effective for you, uh, how have they contributed to your success uh, professionally or personally? So we'll take the three, what I think are the strongest skilled EQ attributes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the first one would be social responsibility, which for listeners of this podcast will probably be a validator. I, uh, my purpose is wrapped around social responsibility, helping our listeners, but but also being genuinely helpful in my interactions. Uh, the second one would be empathy. Um, and a lot of that came out of my work as a recruiter. I was there to serve certainly my clients, but ultimately it was the talent that I placed that I cared most about. I wanted to make sure that they were successful. Yeah. And I think the third one, which is to a lot of people ironic in these uh, dystopic times we live in, is optimism. You know, I end every blog post that I write with the words, our best days lie ahead. That's not cliche. I really believe that. Even in difficult times, we somehow encourage ourselves to do better. And we often solve really vexing problems when we're forced to do it. That's made me optimistic. Okay. All right. Those are great ones. So let me talk a little bit about what each of these mean in terms of the EQI assessment. So social responsibility, it's your desire and ability uh, to willingly contribute to society and to the welfare of others. So essentially you're showing care and concern for the group and the community, uh, being environmentally responsible. And, you know, in the years I've known you, Dan, I've observed mm-hmm. you've demonstrated an extremely well-developed social conscious. Uh, you know, in fact, you build a career on it. Yes, I did. <laughs> so, uh, you know, first, you know, you worked uh, as an advocate for uh, environmentally conscious products and services, and today you're a meaningful work advocate. Mm-hmm. So we don't really get much more socially responsible than that. Now, overdone social responsibility. So what that tends to look like for somebody who's showing up with a lot of this. I mentioned earlier that it can become a liability if, if a strength is overdone. Mm-hmm. So with this, what do, you, what do you think that might show up as? Uh, uh, an overage of social responsibility? Yes, yes. Uh, well, it's probably like some of the activists that I often encounter who become very binary. Uh, it's my way or the highway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, yeah, they could. Uh, they can come across as, uh, you know, overly preachy or, you know, like a martyr. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, though, because this is such a strength of yours, 
I, I can't tell you, you know, Dan, will you stop being so socially responsible? That's, right. <laughs> that's not going to be helpful for you. Instead, uh, we want to take a look at another uh, element where, you know, it, it's not quite as much of a strength and talk about ways that that element can be boosted mm-hmm. or uh, better balanced with the social responsibility. So, uh, so and, I, and I hear you, optimism and empathy, uh, also, you know, great elements there. Uh, but let's talk for a moment about some of the three elements that, you know, don't come quite as naturally for you. Well, number one's going to be stress tolerance. I'll let go something that I've known about myself most of my life. I've battled anxiety since I was a little kid. Mm. Um, there have been major stressors in my family and moves and school and changes in circumstances and sudden pivots at the workplace that I had that were often difficult to deal with. I was uh, undiagnosed for many, many years, and it oh, took wow. a real toll on me. So stress tolerance is something that I've learned to do, but it's not a natural thing. And, I, and, I, and I'm conscious of the fact that I need to work on that. Yeah. That's the number one thing. To a certain degree, assertiveness. Mm-hmm. And I'm not an introverted person, but oftentimes I find that assertiveness can be difficult in a group dynamic. And it may be because other people were involved and they're trying to get their point across and you're not wanting to step on them or maybe sometimes you can't help yourself. That's, that's another area that I have to be mindful of, of my own behavior and how I interact with people. Mm-hmm. The third thing is self-regard, to, uh, probably to the least degree of these three. I, I, I don't have bad feelings about myself, but I think being oftentimes a perfectionist I undervalue my contributions. I could have done better. I could have done more. Why didn't I do this? Woulda, shoulda, coulda. I fight that too. Now, it's not saying that I don't deal with it, but it's probably, um, those are the three attributes that I probably are most aware of that I have to focus on and improve sort of my own outlook and how I portray myself to others. It's it's so insightful what I'm hearing you say here, Uh, and all of this actually came up as I was looking through your your uh, your assessment results. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those we can um, we can talk about talk about that. We could probably talk for a long time about it, Um, but um, just to to recap, kind of the self regard is really where I want to focus here because that's such an important element, and that's essentially where a lot of our our self-confidence comes from. Uh, It's the ability and tendency for you to both like yourself and to have confidence in yourself. Uh, Essentially, you're respecting yourself for who you are. You're looking at yourself and all the, with all the good traits and, you know, all the the negative traits and you can still say, you know what, gosh darn it, I like myself the way I am. So that would be, you know, a a healthy Mm self-regard right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and interestingly enough, this is one of the four elements of emotional intelligence that is most indicative of our overall well-being. Mm-hmm. So, we, so uh, the other ones, so we have self-regard, 
Uh, we have uh, self-actualization, which is uh, setting meaningful goals and, and working towards achieving them. Mm. Uh, we have interpersonal relationships, which is wanting to have good relationships with others, seeking out um, professional and personal uh, friendships, um, networking, uh, wanting to get out there, interacting with other people. Uh, and then another one that you mentioned as a, as a strength, which is, which is optimism. And we know that optimism is uh, the, the ability to have a, a positive outlook on life, uh, even in the face of adversity. But optimism is also often a, a misunderstood element uh, because it's not about thinking things are going to turn out for the best no matter what. And it's not, you know, just um, repeating positive af affirmations every day. It's more of a realistic approach to life. It's the ability to stop thinking or saying hurtful and destructive things about yourself. Mm -hmm. So, and I think in, in this explanation, you can kind of start to see how these elements uh, overlap with each other and also how you can use your strengths to, to work on the weaker areas mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So with that said, let's take a look at your results. Okay. Your assessment results here. So uh, I'm just going to show you for now because I have 20 pages of data here. And um, obviously we don't wanna, we don't have time to go into all of that. So let's just take a look at the snapshot of your results right here. Okay. As you're looking through, uh, do you notice any surprises? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you've got, um, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with a lot of these things. Would you be able to kind of summarize what's happening in each of these buckets here? Yeah, that's, uh, it, that, that's the thing about these results. It really does require kind of an understanding of what's being measured here, right. and it requires context mm -hmm. uh, to be able to, to look at this accurately. It can be very overwhelming to, to look at this. It's very easy to just look at the numbers and, and say, oh, I, you know, I, I should be above average and all of these things, whatever. But what I find is a more helpful way to view this information is to look at it in terms of balance. Mm. And that was why I asked you to uh, identify your top three and mm. your, your bottom three so that we can at least have a way to start the conversation. So when I'm looking at, um, there's another, th another surprise to me here. What's that? Uh, which was emotional expression which is your your ability to express yourself both verbally and non-verbally and you were you're very uh, high mm -hmm. on that and you know when you're when you're looking at that and how that might uh, play into another one that you mentioned here was um, was assertiveness mm -hmm. and when there's more than 10 points difference between uh, the scores on the elements there mm -hmm. uh, that can show up as a, an area for growth mm -hmm. so Emotional expression is, um, you know, pretty, uh, it's higher than your assertiveness. And this might suggest that you expect, whether it's conscious or unconscious, for others to be aware of how you're feeling. Uh, you may be more comfortable expressing uh, thoughts or feelings than, than, um, than directives. So your, your expression is, is very high, but the assertiveness maybe is not quite as high. So in a coaching situation, we would talk about uh, ways that we can boost um, that assertiveness. How can you become more assertive? What are some actions that you can take 
uh, to, to better balance that with, um, with emotional expression. Well, I look at the emotional expression. I am not at all surprised by that. I'm a okay. lifelong writer. Okay. Um, I have never had difficulty expressing myself, mm. especially in writing. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me ask you a let me ask you a question about that. Then, is are there um, are there times that that's gotten you into trouble? No, I don't think so. But you said something interesting that maybe my ability to express myself isn't always being read by others. Yes. Um, especially, you know, when we're looking at that in terms of interpersonal relationships, which is one of the, the big areas I identified earlier as, as being one of the big four, as I call them. Your expression is higher than the interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. And this may mean you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, um, you might be unaware or inattentive to how your uh, your tone of voice or your word choice if you're a writer mm-hmm. um, or body language uh, may come across to or affect other people. I see. Mm-hmm. I, see. I could I can see relevance in that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so so I I have all of this um, written down for you too, and then a couple other points of interest here. Social responsibility and empathy. You mentioned those two elements before. Mm-hmm. And a really easy way to look at them, because they're both falling under the, the uh, what we call the interpersonal realm of emotional intelligence. Um, one essentially is looking at the group and the needs of the group, and that's social responsibility. Empathy is looking at an individual's needs. So when these two are, uh, you know, are, are not um, well-balanced... Uh, and that, in your case, social responsibility is higher than empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may look at uh, your decision-making in terms of what's best for the, the group, uh, the larger group of people, before considering individuals' needs, before connecting with a person on an individual level, which is you know, empathizing with the individual instead of the group. Does that, does that ring true for you? I'm trying to process it. Perhaps okay. it does. I'll have to go back to it at some point and kind of think that through. It's, a, it's yeah. kind of a high concept. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough one, and you know you're bringing up a really good point here too that this is going to require a lot of time and effort to digest because this is just so much information here. We sometimes deal with people, and I am a very expressive person, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes. Uh, consciously or unconsciously, others uh, may subtly deceive us. They're projecting that they understand, but they really don't, or they're saying they do because they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Do you, uh, do you find yourself doing that? Well, I've gotten better at it. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's a dynamic because we don't want to disappoint anyone. No, yeah. I don't, Dan, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> or I don't relate to it. You know, people yeah. don't want to be seen as rude, so they yeah. don't confront you. Yeah, um, right. And I think because of that, sometimes the message doesn't always get through. And that's a mm-hmm. difficult thing, I think, for anybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's, you're, you're touching on so many elements here of emotional intelligence just with that very statement. Mm-hmm. You're touching on the assertiveness. You're touching on uh, empathy there too. 
the other thing, and this is probably the last point that I, I wanted to, to mention here because there's so many other uh, things to talk about with emotional intelligence, is mm -hmm. uh, the relationship between optimism and self-regard. Okay. Yeah. And I say this because of something that you just mentioned um, a few moments ago about not, uh, not thinking about how, um, how your skills and uh, accomplishments over the years have factored into your success. Mm -hmm. uh, so people who are showing up with higher optimism than self-regard uh, tend to you know, uh, forget to factor in uh, how their expertise and their skills and their strengths uh, can help them to achieve success in the future. I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, this is um, some some action steps needed to um, you can to to boost the uh, the self regard uh, to make it better balanced with with optimism and some of these other elements too. And you know, I I tend to promote using strengths uh, to to do that and uh, using your emotional expression, using your social responsibility uh, to, to boost those things, because those are things that come absolutely naturally to you, and they, they don't come naturally to everybody. So use them um, to promote yourself, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you do results for, for your clients, mm -hmm. I would imagine the first thing that happens is a bit of shock. <laughs> there, there has to be a lot of validation, but there has to also be, I would think, I didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. Can you describe for us how some of your clients take that initial shock and then turn it into something that's fortuitous, positive? Every reveal, so to speak, is unique, and everybody's results are unique. So before they even get their results back, I think it's really important to provide an understanding of what emotional intelligence is and what actually is being measured here. And uh, not looking at these results as something that's uh, necessarily negative, you know? Uh, remembering the results are stagnant. This is a snapshot of a moment in time. The results can change. And the, the results or the scores are not always indicative of truths. So one of the questions I do like to ask people is, you know, I, I usually do ask them, you know, are you surprised by anything? But do they, are they accurate to you? And mm -hmm. it's a method of having a conversation uh, where somebody hopefully feels comfortable enough to, um, to bring in, to bring up some of the things they've been struggling with uh, and talk about addressing them in, in a safe space uh, where we can start to work on them together. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is that because, unlike IQ where it's pretty cut and dry how it turns out, the EQ process requ requires a lot of honesty? Yes, it does. Now there are, uh, speaking about that, there are validity measures throughout the assessment mm -hmm. uh, to, to check to see if, you know, somebody is answering consistently uh, and things like that. And as the administrator, I will get, uh, you know, I'll get 
pings, so to speak, if somebody comes up and there there's something that just doesn't look right, there's some inaccuracy in the data, uh, or if somebody somebody's answers are, are not consistent. Uh, so I didn't have any of that with you, Dan, so no worries there. <laughs> well, if my mother's listening, you can rest <laughs> easy, Mom. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when I started work on producing this episode, it struck me that the need for EQ has never been greater. We have a society that's become tribal and that dysfunction spills into the workplace all the time. Why do you think EQ is important today? You know, that's such a great question. Uh, there, There's a lot of thought that emotional intelligence is more important to IQ and I personally think there's some, some, some validity to that. And if we think about what sets truly successful people apart, we think about qualities that reflect emotional intelligence. So let me, let me answer your question this way. Okay. Um, can you think of someone who embodies exceptional leadership and then think about the individual qualities that that person displays? Yes. Yeah. So um, would you care to share some individual qualities of that person? I think the first thing is, you know, I'm not sure I can put this in one word, but taking the time to process a lot of information, mm-hmm. uh, both on a, on a micro level, but on a macro level. How is this going to affect, me? this is a CEO. Okay. How is this going to affect my, uh, my organization okay. and the long-term health? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this in terms of hiring practices. Okay. This is a, a CEO who did something that a lot of CEOs don't do, which was to say, I don't want to hire people that are like me. I want to hire people that are going to bring this organization to a new level of aptitude and opportunity. Excellent. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing a couple of different examples of emotional intelligence with this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one I heard, impulse control. Yes. So we all probably have heard this term and we have an idea of what impulse control means, but essentially uh, delaying or resisting your impulse to act or to say something. And we all can imagine what that looks like when it's low, somebody who has very low impulse control mm-hmm. uh, and, and how that plays out. And then on the other hand, we think about someone who has uh, very active uh, impulse control which is what you were describing here. They take the time to think about and process how their actions will come across to others. Right. Uh, so I, and I also heard the social responsibility piece here. Yes. So taking action for the betterment of the organization uh, and quite a lot of um, uh, awareness, uh, emotional self-awareness here too, because without understanding your own strengths and weaknesses, how are you going to make those hard decisions? How are you going to know uh, what's needed here uh, for, for the betterment of the company? So, so I think as we're discussing this more, you can start to see how all of these, these elements are interrelated to each other and, and how, they, um, how they can help or hinder each other too. The person I just described to you is a real person. It's not a right. composite. Okay. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you who it is. Uh-huh. Um, he just retired. His name is Paul Pullman, P-O-L-M-A-N. Okay. He was the CEO of Unilever, big oh. multinational company. Okay. Paul Pullman is my hero because 
he's changed what it means to be a forward-thinking company in today's uh, environment. Um, he just retired, and, it, and I would imagine he's going to go live a wonderful life now. But everything about Unilever and how he managed it was really based upon how does this company relate to its the planet and its resources mm. and people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Mr. Pullman had a directive to get rid of products that were had a deleterious effect on the environment or on people, on how they were manufactured. Yeah. Maybe they weren't good for you. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, and I'm, I'm not saying he was perfect, but for, for a major, uh, a CEO of a multinational uh, consumer products company, yeah. he really has, has led the way in terms of how to, how to lead a big company. And I mention that, and I mention that CEO because the CEOs out there that are making a difference are filling a vacuum for the lack of, of, lack of leadership in government oh, goodness, on the yeah. environment, yeah. on how we mm-hmm. deal with people and communities and support them. Yeah, it, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head right there because this is, with, with regards to today's world, I'm looking at the political situation and I observe not to get political or anything, sure. but you know, how, how everyone just, you know, pushes their own agenda and they don't even bother to listen to the other side. You know, mm-hmm. people just make assumptions and they judge people in situations before they have all the facts. Mm-hmm. So just imagine how different things would be if we could pause and listen and just listen to another person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Our ability to, uh, you know, delay gratification uh, of being in the spotlight, for example, uh, and seeing the long term effects of our action, that plays a, a huge part in successful leadership. And like your example here of, uh, of Mr. Pullman, mm-hmm. uh, effective leaders take the time to understand what motivates others. They take the time to form positive relationships with their people, and they use that information strategically to build their team and generate buy-in. Right. So, you know, one of the things that I struggle with with the emotional intelligence assessment is... Um, you know, you give somebody, you, I, I, can, I can give these, these assessments all day long and, and show people, you know, here, here's how you, you're, you're showing up here on, on this space and here's how you're showing up here on this space. But I think the bigger challenge is, um, is applying that knowledge and using it in a meaningful way. And um, it's, it's scary. Like, it's, it's scary because in doing that, you have to look at the sides of yourself that aren't always very pleasant to look at you you have to confront your um your your areas for development there uh and that takes time and it's um it's it's not always fun uh i can tell you though the first time that i took this this assessment uh years ago when i first got certified uh i had a very different result than when i took it a second time uh, but that was because I spent those in-between years, those two or three years in between the times that I took it to work on my weaker areas so I was better balanced. Mm. You know, it, and it was worth it. Next time in part two of our conversation with emotional intelligence expert Edith Richards. How often do you know uh, people who 
take the time to actively pay attention to what they're feeling, identify the source of their feelings, and take the time to think about how that affects other people. Our thanks go out to Edith Richards for walking the tightrope with us. Links to her social media are included in the show notes for this episode. Our success is your success, but we cannot build our community without your help and support. So if you haven't done so already, please join the Dan Smolin Experience to get our newsletter offering information, tips, and hacks to help you succeed in doing meaningful work. To sign up, simply click the subscribe to the Dan Smolin Experience newsletter button on our homepage at dansmolin.com. Fill out the short form, then click the subscribe button at the bottom of the page, and you'll be on your way. Also, become a regular listener of the Tightrope with Dan Smolin podcast. You can easily find current and past episodes by keywording The Tightrope with Dan Smolin at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, on our website at dansmolin.com, or wherever you choose to listen. And don't forget to show your support on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can locate our social media buttons at the upper right corner of our webpages at dansmolin.com. From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm your host, Dan Smolin. And do remember this, our best days lie ahead. Have a great and successful week, everyone.